Hello and welcome, Water of Life, to our Wednesday night online Bible study. We are so glad that you're here. We really look forward to being able to have this time with you. Now, maybe some of you are wondering, where's Pastor John? Well, Pastor John is taking some time to be with his family and to be able to rest, and we're really glad that we can make that space for him to be able to do that. My name is Brenda Renderos, and I am really glad I get to be your host for tonight. So I want to just remind you what tonight looks like. This is an interactive time. Pastor Dan is going to have a message. We're going to keep continue going through the book of Acts, but you get to ask some questions as well. And at the end of our time together, we are going to go ahead and have that Q&A time. So go ahead and put your questions in the chat room area, or you can email your questions in as well. But you definitely want to get those in. And the sooner you actually get those in, the more chances there are that we'll be able to actually have time to ask all of those questions. So... Don't forget, ask those questions. Now, if you're in the chat room area, I have actually been on the other end of things, and I know that our host pastors love to be able to interact with you. So why don't you go ahead, take some time, and say hello to your host that in the chat room. Let them know where it is that you're watching from. Tell them that Brenda said hello. But go ahead, and you can engage with them as well. In fact, we would really like to know what your experience has been like since we've had these midweek Bible studies. We've heard from many of you, how much this has meant to you and your walk and during this time, but how you've been able to grow and just your faith. But we really want to be able to hear from you in a different way. So we have a survey that we're asking you to take where you can just answer some of those questions to let us know what this has been like for you. And we will be able to use that information to help us navigate where do we go from here. So if this is something you really want to be able to get the word out and let us know what this has meant to you, go ahead and text the word survey to 818 818. It won't take you that long, so go ahead and text the word survey to 818-818. Well, we're going to get into worship now, but I just want to say I am so glad that you are taking this time in the middle of your week to hit the pause button and to say that I really want to grow in my walk with the Lord. I want to take some time to worship and to allow my spirit to get fed. So why don't we go ahead and pray, and then we can go into worship, and we can just allow ourselves to breathe during this time. Father God, we thank you so much for this time. I thank you, God, that no matter what it is that hits us, that you show us a way to be able to continue to engage with you and to engage with others. Lord, I pray that during this time of worship that we would be able to breathe, to just exhale, and to leave all these things at your feet and to receive all that you have for us. And God, we thank you for the word that Pastor Dan has for tonight. Would our spirits be fed? Would it be enriched? And would we be able to take Take that word out to others during the week as well. Lord, we lift this time to you. We pray this thing in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Give me wisdom 
bless you. We thank you that you go, Lord, that you go before us. You go beside us and around us, God. We thank you that you fight every battle, God. We thank you that you see where we're at, Lord God, and you are here with us, Lord. So we can sing this thing. There's a table that you prepared for me in the presence of my enemies. blood that shed for me. This is how I fight my battles. Yeah. Sing that again. There's a table that you prepared for me. In the presence of my enemies. It's your body, your blood that shed for me. This is how I fight my battles, yeah, I believe, and I believe you've overcome, and I will live my song of praise for what you've done, so this is how I fight my battles, this is how I fight my battles, this is how I fight my battles. This is how I, this is how I sing. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I. In the valley, I know that you're with me. Surely you. Your mercy follow me And my weapons I praise and thanksgiving And this is how I fight my battle
surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Somebody say, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Yeah, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Yeah, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded. It may look like, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Break every chain to break. 
Somebody sing it over your life right now, yeah. Say, I hear the chains falling. The chains of depression, the chains of oppression falling. Say, I hear the chains falling. Oh, I hear, I hear the chains falling. Somebody lifted up the chains of racism. Oh, I hear, I hear the chains falling.
Father, we invite you into this place tonight and ask you, Holy Spirit, to come in waves over us. Father, we need your presence, your glory to come, God. And pray that you would have grace and mercy on us in a time of need over our country. Father, over our, our hearts, our city, our county, Pray for Los Angeles tonight. Pray for Fontana tonight and Ranch Cucamonga tonight. Just the cities around us, Father, that you would keep people safe. God, I pray for people that are in the streets that you'd give them a passion to be peaceful, Father, and to stand up against un unrighteousness and injustice, but to do it thoughtfully and kindly. Operate out of your spirit, Father. And, and so we just ask your touch on our land, on our church, God, we need your grace to abound to us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, guys. It was great. Thank you. Okay, I want to welcome you tonight. If you're a first-timer here, uh, we're in chapters 13 and 14. You've got a Bible, an iPad, a phone. We're going to be in chapters 13 and 14 in the book of Acts tonight, so we're going to do two chapters. And um, as Brenda mentioned to you, we wanted to hear from you about Wednesday night. We are um, preparing to reopen the church this weekend in a much larger fashion. And so I want to invite you, if you would like to come back, we'd love to have you back. Um, we're going to be putting tickets on Eventbrite and opening the doors uh, this weekend for our regular service times, 5 o'clock, 9.30, 5 o'clock Saturday night, 9.30 and 11.30 Sunday morning. And we will put everybody who shows up here into the worship center, everybody who has a ticket. And so we're going to be making more seats in the worship center for this weekend. And I think we will, um, we just love to welcome you back. So we want to encourage you to start coming back to church, uh, get your tickets online, wear your masks, and wear your masks during worship when you're here. Masks are mandatory to keep each other safe right now. So I saw a few of you last weekend that pulled your mask down during worship. I want to ask you not to do that. Keep your mask on your face during worship so you keep everybody around you safe. And just uh, let's do this well. Let's do it together. And let's do it in a godly way. So we're going to jump into the Word right now. So if you haven't been with us, a little bit of review. Uh, in Acts chapter 9, Paul was converted. And let me give you some, some um, dates so you can kind of track this. Uh, that was about four years after Jesus, probably five years after Jesus was resurrected, crucified and resurrected in 30 AD in that ballpark. Um, Acts chapter 10 happened in 37 to 40 AD, and that was Cornelius, his household, Gentiles coming to Jesus for the first time, which was a gigantic thing, but it was like 10 years after um, the resurrection. It took a long time to get there. Then you get into Acts chapter 11, the meeting in Jerusalem, Antioch is uh, first city of Gentiles that actually opens up to the gospel. That was in 42, 43 AD, like 12 years after the resurrection. Then you come into chapter 12, Peter is arrested, we talked about last week, and then supernaturally released. James, um, the apostle, the disciple who walked with Jesus was beheaded, he was killed, um, and, and he was the first martyr. And so then we walk into chapters 13 and chapter 14. Chapter 13 is likely probably 44 AD in that ballpark. It's 10 years since Saul has come to Christ. So you got to think, if, if he came to Christ 10 years earlier, 
What has he been doing? Well, he's been back in Tarsus. Some people think that he was traveling around and uh, doing evangelism on his own. That may have been happening, not sure. We know he spent three years, at least three years in the desert where God broke his heart and then restored him and put him back into ministry. So there was a lot of building, a lot of discipling, a lot of changing going on in Saul uh, that turned him into Paul. And we'll talk about that some tonight. The reality is, is that um, he'd been out of the spotlight for a long time and he was being prepared for such a time as this, what he was gonna walk into. So if you get into verse one, in chapter 13, it says, now there were at Antioch, and those of you who remember, they had sent Barnabas last week to Antioch to, uh, to find out what was happening. The Holy Spirit was falling on Gentiles, and he went back to Jerusalem, told them the message got back to Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas uh, there, and so Barnabas went and got Saul, and they are teaching for a year in Antioch. And then you pick up in chapter 13, it says, in the church there, there were prophets and teachers. This is a great picture. Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Mannion, who had been brought up with Herod the Tatriarch, and Saul. So let, let, let's stop there. There's so much. We could just actually do this whole study on verse 1, because verse 1 is so big, so full, and so powerful. So it says, first there's prophets and there's teachers there. So you've got to get this picture. There's some really <clears throat> spirit-filled, anointed people in the house, and they are moving with power and authority. God is moving with power and authority, and there's some prophetic words being shared. There's some pr prophetic insight uh, unfolding and taking place. So it says that Barnabas is there, so his name is first, because in the Greek language, the most important subject is first. And so Barnabas, we know, is the most important subject in this study. So in Antioch, there was Barnabas. Barnabas was the most important guy, but right after him, the second person was a guy named Simeon, who was also called Niger. Now we know this about Simeon. Simeon was African. Niger means black, and that's what he was. He was an African. So at the very, very beginning of the church, and this is so important, particularly in our land today, is there was an integrated a, a journey of partnership together between those from Africa, those from Greece, those from Rome, all over the earth, wherever they were from, they understood the kingdom of God was larger than their life, larger than each individual person. The kingdom of God was what this was about, and they all yielded their identity, friends. You gotta understand this to Jesus. Their identity came out of the heart of Jesus. And so here you've got this African guy, Niger, then you've got a guy named Lucius of Cyrene, now, Lucius of Cyrene is an interesting picture because Lucius of Cyrene is likely one of the people from Cyrene who came to Antioch to witness to the Gentiles. Those are the guys that we mentioned a couple weeks ago or last week that they jumped the track and they actually started sharing Christ with Gentiles instead of just Jews, and that blew everybody up. They were the first people to really be aggressive and do that, and it blew everybody up. But the reality was this was probably Lucius of Cyrene. He was probably one of those people who showed up and started witnessing. And then you got Mannion. This guy is completely off the hook. I mean, he, his life is an incredible story. So Mannion, let's read it together here again. It says, at the end of verse one, Mannion who had been brought up with Herod the Tatriarch and Saul. Literally, 
a stepbrother is what he was. He was a stepbrother of Herod the Tetrarch. So let me help you to understand this. He was raised in royalty. So he was raised with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. So Saul, by the way, just as a side note, is the last person mentioned in the story because he was the tail at this point, not the head. He was the last guy in the story. So Paul, Paul Saul, was very, very, very last one mentioned and the least important of all the leaders there. So we know Barnabas, he was the encourager from Cyprus, by the way, and he was sent by apostles to care for the new believers, Antioch. Simeon called Niger uh, is Latin for him. It's, it means black. Many people believe that he had two sons, and I want to cover these before I get down to Mannion, but I, I, I want to mention this to you because this is a great picture. Simeon is likely the person that carried Jesus' cross in Mark 15, 21. So you got your Bible, your iPad, your phone. Turn over there real quick with me to Mark chapter 15, verse 21, and catch a glimpse of something really great. When you can see pictures in the Bible where, where things just pop up and you're like, what the heck? Never saw that before. Well, this is probably one you've never seen before. Mark chapter 15, verse 21, Jesus is going down the Via Della Rosa with the cross. It says in verse 20, after they had mocked him, they took the purple robe, put it on, his own garments on him. They led him out to crucify him. Verse 21, they pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simeon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear the cross. So, so you gotta get this picture. This guy is likely what they would call a God-fearer. A God-fearer was a person who wasn't a Jew but hung out with Jews and worshiped in the temple, believed in one God, Jehovah God, Yahweh, and he would worship in the temple with them, and he was likely in town for Passover with his sons. And so he was in the crowd watching Jesus being led away to Golgotha, and they grabbed him. Could you imagine this? This is an incredible picture. They grabbed the guy and conscripted him in, and said, you're gonna carry the cross. Jesus is so beat up and broken down and whipped and just about dead at that point, and they ask him to carry the cross. They don't ask him, they tell him to carry the cross. So it says that he was pressed into service, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear the cross. So he literally carried Jesus' cross to Golgotha, where he not only watched Jesus get crucified, but likely surrendered his life to this Messiah who would die and resurrect three days later, as well as both of his sons. Now, let me explain this to you so you can get this really quick. If you got your Bible, turn over to Romans chapter 16, verse 13, and you'll pick these guys up again in Romans 16, 13. It says, as Paul's giving greetings out to everybody, in verse 13, he says, Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. His mother, by the way, is Mary, whose house they likely met in often in Jerusalem. And so he calls her, I mean in Antioch, I'm sorry, in Antioch, and he calls her his mother. Paul calls her his mother and said, Listen, she, she took me into her house. She took care of me. So you have this picture of Paul speaking of Rufus, likely the son of Simeon, and calls his mother his own mother. 
because Paul likely lived in their house in Antioch. So you've got this incredible picture of a family that got swept away by the gospel at the crucifixion, came to Christ, went back to their town in Antioch, and ended up being part of the early, early, early church there. And then Paul ended up living there for a year when he was ministering and teaching in Antioch. And so finally, let's go back to Lucius of Cyrene. He was likely one of those came to Antioch to preach. Then you got Mannion. We want to go back to Mannion. So let's talk about him again. His name in Hebrew is Menahim. Menahim means comforter in Hebrew. And so Mannion really was given the name comforter in Hebrew. He was the foster brother of Herod Antipas, who was the son of Herod the Great. Okay, so, so, so hold, hold it. Herod the Great. Remember Herod the Great? He was the king who was around at Jesus' birth. He's the one who tried to kill Jesus and killed the children and beheaded. Uh, I mean, his son is the one who beheaded John the Baptist. But So here you've got two kids growing up in this house. One of them, Manian, who gives his life to Jesus. And the other one, the blood son, Herod Antipas, who actually was the one who beheaded John the Baptist and participated in crucifying Jesus. So Herod the Great, his son, Herod Antipas, and Manian, brothers. But if you remember, when John the Baptist was beheaded, you remember that that was just very fleshly event, a lot of erotic dancing, and this guy swept away by his, this young girl who was his stepdaughter, and he says, I'll give you anything up to half of my kingdom, and she asked for John the Baptist's head. And so he didn't want to do it, but he cut John the Baptist's head off. And you look at this picture, friends, and you go, okay, how did you veer off over here and become a guy who murdered this great prophet, John the Baptist, and then you were part of participating in crucifying Jesus, not in a huge way, but he was part of it. He was one of the people that wanted to hear Jesus speak, and Jesus wouldn't respond to him when he asked him questions. But the other one in the same household gave his life to Christ and ended up following Jesus as a leader in Antioch. Such a great picture here. Hey, we're still on the first verse. We gotta hurry up. Okay, let's keep going. So then finally you got Saul being called by his Hebrew name for the last time, by the way. So just note that in your Bible. Verse one here is called Saul. By verse nine, he becomes Paul and he never goes back to Saul. Saul is his Hebrew name, Paul is his Roman name. So let's go to verse two because verse two is like, it's just as good as verse one. Verse two, it says, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Okay, so, so, so hold it. Ministering to the Lord and fasting. So, so how do you, this is such a great picture. How do you minister to the Lord? Do you know, I hear people say, man, I need to go to Bible school. I need to do this. No, you don't. You just need to worship God and fast and pray and intercede and you will minister to the Lord. Each of us, friends, doesn't matter who you are, where you live, how much money you have, it doesn't, nothing matters but this one thing. This is something everybody in the church can do. Minister to the Lord. Listen to this again. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. So when did the Spirit speak? When they were fasting, praying, and worshiping. They were ministering to the Lord. 
There might have been teaching going on, any number of kind of things, but the reality is this, everybody can do this. They were sitting still before the Father, they were worshiping the Father, everybody should do this. Friends, you want the Spirit to speak to you, be still. Stop and listen, be set apart, set aside time for Jesus to speak. Those who were prophetic spoke, there's no question that they were in the, in the meeting, and they spoke out, they both foretold and foretold, they told the moment what was happening in the future, in the moment they had a word from the Lord and the word was set aside Barnabas and Saul for the work I've called him. Now hold it, let's talk about that for a minute. Barnabas and Saul were the senior pastor and his assistant. They were the two key leaders in the whole church. And the Spirit said, okay, okay, take these two guys and send them out. They're gone. So that means you're on your own. The Spirit of God's gonna lead you as a church. He's gonna take care of you. He's gonna guide you. He's gonna feed you. He's gonna minister to you. He's gonna build this church in Antioch without Paul and Barnabas. It's a great picture. It's a picture of how the body of Christ is supposed to function. So, they get sent out. In verse three, another great picture. It says, when they had fasted and prayed, hold, hold, hold it, they didn't just quit. They were, oh, we got an answer from the Lord, let's go. No, it says that they continued to fast and pray. Then they laid their hands on them and sent them away. What is this about? This is called impartation or blessing. This is blessing what God has already blessed, friends. When you see God doing something supernatural that's great and deep and wide, partner into it right away. Partner into it. Bless what God is blessing. See what God is doing and bless that. So many of us are busy trying to find out what we can do. What is my place? What, listen, look at what God is doing and bless what God is blessing. That's what they did in this picture. It's such a great picture. Okay, now we're gonna move a little quicker because we're gonna get through two chapters in the next few minutes. So watch this. It says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went, out, they went out to Seleucia, and they, from there they sailed to Cyprus, and they reached Salamis. They began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. So they went to Cyprus. Barnabas, by the way, was from Cyprus, so he went home. So that, that may have been why he went home. He wanted to get the word to his people. We don't know, but they went to, to Cyprus where Barnabas was from. They go watch this because this is their, their modus of operandi. This is their... their Practical strategy all the time is to go into the synagogue, speak first to the Jews, according to Romans 1, and then to the Gentiles, or what was called the God-fearers. There would be people in every synagogue, handfuls of Gentiles, who weren't Jews, but they were called God-fearers. And so they joined up with the Jews in worship. So it says that when they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God, where in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John as their helper. This is John Mark. We'll talk about him again in a minute. He was Barnabas's cousin. Some people think his nephew, more likely his cousin. And when they had gone through the whole island, as, as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. This is a great picture. If you remember back when Peter first came out and started preaching the gospel himself, he ran into a magician as well. But this guy, this is an interesting picture because this guy, he, he, his name is Bar-Jesus, which means son 
of Jesus. <laughs> he wasn't, okay? In fact, uh, Paul called him a son of the devil. <laughs> so, but his name is Bar-Jesus, or Elemas, which means sorcerer, is what they called him. That was his nickname. And so when you get this, you go, when they went through the whole land, they ran into this guy, Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. So, so, so this guy's got a position because of his magic, his sorcery. The, the guy who is the governor of the area has him under his wing and is listening to him and listening to him and listening to him. So this becomes an issue because Paul and Barnabas start to speak to this man about Jesus. And this man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for so his name is translated, it literally means sorcerer, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Obviously, he was afraid he was going to lose his job. You know, something was going to disappear here, and it was probably going to be his income. So he's trying to turn him away. And when he's trying to turn him away, Saul, verse 9, who is also known as Paul, there you go. That's going to be his name from now on. His Roman name is Paul. He's going to be in Roman country most of the time, so he's going to be called by his Roman name, Paul. Is filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him, and he said, you are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of righteousness. Will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. You know what's so funny about this? Isn't this exactly what happened 10 years earlier to Paul? He was blinded and then gave his life to Jesus. He's probably hoping that as this guy is blinded, he will give his life to Jesus. The reality is, it's not a good picture for this poor guy. Watch what happens. It says, immediately a mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking somebody who would lead him by the hand. He didn't have any friends. Nobody wanted to hang with the guys like, somebody help me. I'm blind. I don't know what I'm doing. And then it says in verse 12, watch this. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Now, this is really important. It doesn't tell us he was baptized. Up to this point, most of the time in the book of Acts, when somebody actually believes in Jesus, it tells us they got baptized immediately. It doesn't say that here. So there's questions about, did this guy really get saved? Did that happen here? And the reality is, is he just impressed or is he now a believer? The best thing I can tell you as far as an answer goes, in my estimation, is that he's obviously astonished by the teaching of the Lord. He was astonished by the miraculous things. But it says this, and, and that, that's what's great about this. It says he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. So he saw the miracle, but Luke recorded that the thing that blew the guy up was the, the biblical teaching that Paul and Barnabas were doing with him. So I'm inclined to tell you that he's a believer. And here's another reason why I think he's a believer, because his daughters come up later in history and actually are spoken of as being, his daughter and his son, I'm sorry, his daughter and his son later are known throughout the land as Christians. So I am guessing dad got saved here because we know historically that his son and his daughter, because they were in a royal family, in a governor's family, they are mentioned as being Christians in other writings. And so likely he gave his life to Christ. So, 
So what happens here? Well, you've got Paul, Saul becoming Paul, and I want to go back and touch that for a minute. He's just exhibited his most powerful moment as a leader. He's just prayed over this guy, rebuked the guy, and the guy's gone blind. This is a big move and a game changer. There's an anointing on his life right now that is superseding the anointing on Barnabas' life. That, that, that's as clear as I could put it to you. There's something supernatural happening here. There's a shift and a changing of the guard. Barnabas is going to step back and Paul is going to become the leader. In order to understand that, you gotta get this. Paul was known as Saul. And remember, Saul was, was the king before David and he was obviously at some point a wicked guy and not a life-giving person. But the reality was is that he was named after that king. Paul, Saul, was named after this king. And he was as proud of a man as King Saul was. And he was in as much trouble as King Saul got himself in, but he was extricated from his trouble by the blood of Jesus. That's the difference between the two guys. Then he took on, which is so interesting, he took on the, the heart of God and then his Roman name. Paul. Paul literally believe, uh, means that he is small of stature. And we know, and I'll, and I'll read you a bit about that in a moment, but we know that Paul was small in stature. He was not a big person. And likely he was bald-headed with a crooked nose and bow-legged and a bunch of, there's a description written about him and it says all of these things. And the reality was he changed his name from Saul the king to Paul the little man. There was something that's just really interesting about the humility in this for me, that, that he really, you could see what was happening with, with Paul was his humility, the humility in the spirit of the Lord had really overcompassed him completely. He wanted to serve God. He had been a proud Jewish man and now he's a humble Christian man. He understood that pride would destroy him, but humility would give him life. It says in Proverbs 6, 16, it says there's seven things that are abomination. Six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven things are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift to run to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and those who soar discord, sow discord among the brethren. And friends, a proud look is the first thing that's mentioned. And Saul had a proud spirit. There's no question about that. But after he crashed into Jesus, got touched by the Holy Spirit, became a very thoughtful, kind, loving, humble guy. So there was a huge, huge change here. Now, there's something else that starts to take place. The proconsul believes when he saw that happen, verse 13, it says, now Paul and his companions set out from sea and came to Perga and Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Uh-oh, this is really important. John Mark left them and returns to Pamphylia. What happened is really important here. First off, let's touch John Mark one more time because you're not gonna hear from him again. John Mark has two names because one of them, again, is Hebrew and one of them is Jewish. I mean, <laughs> Roman, one of them is Latin, excuse me. I am tired, but excuse me. One of them, Barnabas' cousin, his name is Latin Mark. That is Mark, is his Latin Roman name. Or Marcus, 
which is more Roman, and you would, those of you who know anything about Rome would know Marcus would be a Roman name. And then his Jewish name is John. So he is John Mark, Jewish Roman, John Mark, Jewish Roman. The book that he wrote in the Bible, the book of Mark, goes underneath his Latin Roman name. So it's very interesting here because he was likely of Greek background. His mother also was rich, 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 and um, helped support the gospel. They used her house in Acts, and we know that, that she was a very important person as well, had money. So you got this situation in verse 13 where John Mark is a rich kid. Paul and Barnabas are taking him out and he's carrying their bags. He's probably being discipled. He's probably trying to grow, but he gives up and he goes home. He basically says, I'm out. This is too hard. I'm too far away from home. We're not really sure for sure what happened, except for we know there's a changing of the guard. His cousin, Barnabas, is no longer the leader. And you see that in verse 13. What does verse 13 say? It says, now Paul and his companions, but hold it. Up to verse 13, in Acts 13, Paul had not been the leader Barnabas had. For the very first time, Paul is mentioned as a leader. And then John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, goes home. So I'm not sure what happened here, friends, but it wasn't pretty because Paul was never happy with the kid for years. And then later they patched it up. Barnabas and him patched it up. It got better. John Mark ends up serving Paul later in Paul's life. But at the moment, he went home and it appears that he went home to mama. Okay, so let's keep going. So he deserts him and he goes home. It says in verse 14 and 15 that they went from Perga. They arrived at Pisidian Antioch. This is another Antioch, by the way. I don't want to go into all of that because we're running out of time. But they went on the Sabbath day to do the same thing that they always did. They went to the synagogue, first to the Jew, then to the Gentiles. So they went to the synagogue. They sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent to them saying, Brethren, if you have a word for, of exhortation for the people, say it. Okay, so this is what's taking place. A typical synagogue meeting would have two readings, one from the law and one from the prophets. So somebody would stand up and read from the law and another person from the prophet. Now, Jesus, if you remember in Luke chapter four, there's another picture of a synagogue service taking place. And Jesus was one of the people who did the reading. He read from the prophet Isaiah chapter 61, and then he said, this is me. That was gigantic. In this particular meeting, you see these guys come into the synagogue, and it says that when Jesus read, he stood to read, and then he closed the book and sat down. So when Jesus read, he read from Isaiah 61 in standing, he read the scroll, and then he was done with the scroll, he closed it up, and he sat down. In this particular case, Luke tells us that Paul stood up to speak. So he was sitting down and Jesus was standing up and then sat down. So it's a bit of a different picture, but it's because they were different parts of the service, if that makes sense to you. So he's sitting in the, in the service and it, and it says, after the reading of the law of the prophets, the bishop sent to them, brethren, saying, if you have any word of exhortation, say it. And so Paul stood up and he starts to say it. And when he starts to say it, he just goes off and starts preaching. So he preaches and preaches and preaches. He does a typical thing that uh, he would do in a synagogue. He would tell the history of Israel. He would tell about 
the um, lineage of Israel. He would tell about the blessing of God on Israel. There were like four points that he would cover, that God is a God of Israel. God chose leaders and lineage from Israel. God saved the people out of Egypt, and then God gave them a promised land, and then he shifts gears, and he goes into Jesus. So that's what he does here. So let's read it together. It says he stood up, and he started to read. It says in verse 16 that Paul motioned with his hand. He said, men of Israel and you who fear God. These are Gentiles that are not Jewish. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt with an uplifted arm. He led them out from it. For a period of 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And when they had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. We actually talked about that last weekend. They asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man after the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After he removed him, he raised up David to be their king, um, concerning whom he also testified, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all of my will. From the descendants of this man, according to the promise, God brought to Israel a savior, Jesus. So he just jumped way from David all the way to Jesus, but he's still continuing the picture. So he just tied Jesus to the Old Testament for all those Jewish people listening. Said God brought an Israel, a savior, Jesus, after John had proclaimed his coming as a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. While John was completing his course, he kept saying, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, but behold, one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family, and those among you who fear God, to us the message of, of salvation has been sent. So now he's gonna jump into the gospel, verse 26. He's gonna tell them what it means to, be, to know Jesus, be a Jesus follower. For those who live in Jerusalem and the rulers recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no grounds for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he would be executed. When they carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from a cross, laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came with him, up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones that are now his witnesses to the people. Verse 32, it says, and we preach to you the good news of the promise made to our fathers, that God has fulfilled his promise to our, chil to our children in that he raised Jesus. So it is written in the second Psalm, and this is really important, in Psalm chapter two, or Psalm two, you are my son today, I have begotten thee. As for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he has spoken it this way, I will give you the holy and blessing, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another Psalm, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. And he said, look it, I know a lot of you think that was David he was talking about. It wasn't David. David has, his body has decayed. Jesus is still alive. And he says, verse 36, for David, after he served this purpose, God of his own generation went to sleep, was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But whom God raised from the dead did not decay, Jesus. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, 
that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him everyone who believes is freed from all the things which you could not be freed from through the law of Moses. This is huge. He just said this, look, all the Old Testament law cannot free you. Jesus can free you. This is the game-changing moment, and literally a gigantic, gigantic thing. So he says that you couldn't be freed there, but Jesus can free you. Therefore, take heed, so that things spoken of you of the prophets will not come upon you. Then he, he quotes Habakkuk to them, and he says literally, Habakkuk 1.5, Behold you scoffers, and marvel, and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which will, you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. As Paul and Barnabas are going out, the people kept begging them that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. So, 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 he just kind of laid out the whole gospel, and then he quotes this word from Habakkuk over them as a warning and says, listen, you better wake up, man. God is speaking, and you're not listening, and it's dangerous for you. And then they get up and walk out, and it says the people followed them out. And they're like, come back, come back. We want more. We want more. We've never heard about this Jesus guy. Tell us more. And so it says, now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. So they asked them to surrender their lives to Jesus and walk in that. Then it says in verse 44, the next Sabbath, Nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. So I'm not sure if it was everybody in town or Luke just put it out there with hyperbole really big and just said, man, look at what's happening out there. It was big though. And it was a bummer for the Jews who were using that synagogue every week because they came in and somebody took their chair. <laughs> you ever come into church and had somebody take your chair and you weren't happy about it? You're like, that's my chair. I sit there every week. What are you doing sitting in my chair this service? I know people feel that way because I watch them. I know where they sit every week and then they don't sit in that chair and they get frustrated. I'm guessing that's what happened in this story. These people were frustrated because the whole town showed up to the synagogue. This means non-Jewish people flooded the Jewish synagogue to hear Paul and Barnabas talk. This did not go well. So it says that they all came it says they hear the word of the Lord, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy, began contradicting the things spoken by Paul, and they were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said it, is, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you Jews first, since you, were, since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we will turn to the Gentiles. Wow, this is big, friends. This becomes the way that they operate in all their missionary outreaches. They go to the synagogue, offer the gospel to the Jews, and then go with the Gentiles. So it says, for the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And friends, I want to tell you something. That's the only reason you and I are Christians today is because they obeyed the word of the Lord and what was prophesied that God would reach to people like us. So it says, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. So, huge. I mean, this is huge. The, the Gentiles are open. They receive the gospel. And this, friends, this story is actually continued in the book of Galatians. So if you want to understand how this played, there was a bunch of people that were called Judaizers, which is a weird thing. I remember the first time anybody ever tried to explain it to me. I didn't understand it at all. 
there were people who came from Jerusalem and other Jewish synagogues, and they went through Galatia, the region of Galatia, and they tried to convince all the people in the churches where Paul and Barnabas had been preaching that they must look like a Jew to be saved. And so they wanted them to be circumcised, they wanted them to keep the food laws, they told them they had to do all these things. They came after Paul and Barnabas would go down to a synagogue, a church, a town, and they would lead people to Jesus, they would open up their spirits to Jesus, these guys would follow in after and try to shipwreck them and wreck their faith. And they did a good job for a lot of them. So Paul wrote the book of Galatians in uh, chapter three, verse one. Let me read part of it to you so you can understand kind of how this was playing. Because they're telling them all, you need to go back and work your way to heaven. You need to do all this stuff. Here's what Paul said. You foolish Galatians. And Galatians, by the way, was a region. So there was this, this letter was sent to a number of churches. Who has bewitched you? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So the word bewitched is literally sorcering. There's like somebody supernaturally with darkness tricked you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And the answer was obvious. The law of Moses never saved anybody, but faith always does Faith in Jesus always does. And he says this, are you so foolish that having begun by the Spirit that you are now trying to be perfected in your flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? And so he's really saying this, you listen to these guys who followed after us and they're trying to wreck your faith, tell you you gotta work your way to heaven. You do not have to work your way to heaven. And friends, I wanna tell you, I've seen a lot of Christians go down this road. Good people, well-meaning, who then said, man, I gotta get into a Hebraic situation. I have to, and listen, I love Passover. I love the festivals, all of that. But friends, that is not the way you get to heaven. You get to heaven through Jesus. And you gotta keep that straight. I've watched Christians who got into Hebraic fellowships and said, I've got to do these things now or I'm not pleasing to God. And friends, that's the whole book of Galatians says, do not go there. Live out of the spirit and if you want to celebrate the feast, bless you, do it. But you don't have to do it. And you are not bound to do it. It's just something that you want to do, do it. But don't tell other people they got to do it to be saved because Paul is very clear here. What began in the spirit needs to be completed in the spirit, not the flesh. So let's finish this up. It says, when they heard this, as many as believed were appointed to eternal life, they believed and the word of the Lord was spread throughout the whole region but the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas, drove them out of the district. And so Paul and Barnabas shook off the dust of their feet in protest against him and went on to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. So even though they drove, they went to their wives of the leaders in town and the wives went to their husbands and said, kick these guys out and they did. And so that, but it says the disciples were continually filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. They said, listen, it's okay if you kicked them out. God has changed our life radically and completely. Then chapter 14, it says in, in Iconium, they went into the synagogue again of the Jews and they spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both Jews and Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved 
stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord who was testifying the word of grace, granting signs and wonders done by their hands. So again, this is something that's important for some of you to figure out. When you need God to move, just believe that God will move. He will do supernatural things to convince people that he is God. He still does this, friends, today. So they went to the synagogue first, and, and really what you see here is there's two colonies about 100 miles apart, and that's what you see taking place here. It says that they, they went into the one Iconium. They spent a long time there testifying the word of, of grace, granting signs and wonders, but the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, some with the apostles, and when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they became aware of it, and they fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derbe, and the surrounding regions where they continued to preach the gospel. This is the Galatian region. So they went to these other towns, and they like a place like Lystra is important because we're going to talk about that right now just for a moment. But Lystra, the Lyconians lived there, and they spoke a different language than the Romans or the Hebrews. They spoke Lyconiite, I guess, but they spoke a different language. And the reality was a lot of them uh, were touched by Paul and Barnabas, but, but, but it was a town that was full of Roman soldiers, retired Roman soldiers. So when Rome would retire their soldiers, they would send them to this city for retirement. So you had a Roman group of people, you had the Lyconians, it was an interesting mix, and you had some Jews there. It says that Lystra, a man was sitting with no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, he had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who when he fixed his gaze on him and, and he had seen faith, that he had faith to be made well, he said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leaped up and started to walk. When the crowd saw that what Paul had done, they raised their voice saying in Lyconian language, the gods have become like men and come down to us. And they began to call Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. <laughs> and the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the gate, brought an oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice to the crowds. And Paul and Barnabas must have been going, what is going on? Somebody tell us, we don't understand, because they were all talking in their language. They didn't understand what was happening. So you got a guy who's lame. Actually, there's two miracles here, by the way. Don't miss that part. The guy had never walked in his life and Paul tells him to get up and walk. So he, he learned how to walk right when he got healed. He had never walked in his life. It says very clearly in verse eight, he had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, fixed his gaze. He said with a loud voice, stand up on your feet. He jumped up and began to walk. The crowd saw what had happened. They want to sacrifice to these two gods that they think Barnabas and Saul are gods like Hermes and Zeus. And, and the apostles heard this in verse 14 and they Heard of it, they tore their clothes and rushed into the crowd, crying out and saying, men, why are you doing these things? You are clueless. You know, we are also men of the same nature as you. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to you that you should turn from all this vain stuff to a living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that's in them. Now, if you study Paul's messages and how he reached people, you'll see this. Every message in every city is a bit different. He really... He went here and talked about the heavens and the earth and the creation. Lyconians knew nothing about Judaism. They knew nothing about uh, the Old Testament scriptures. So Paul's trying to reach them at a level that they could figure out, which meant this. Look around you at the heavens and the earth. God created all of this. It's what Romans says. When Romans says, listen, everybody can know God because of the, great, the greatness of the creation, 
reflects the greatness of the creator. And so he says to them, the God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without a witness. And then he did good, he gave you rains from heaven, fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart with food and gladness. And, And please listen, turn to this living God. But it says in verse 18, even after they said these things, with difficulty they restrained the crowds from offering a sacrifice to them. So they still wanted to kill an oxen, and they wanted to, to treat these guys like they're gods. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and they won over the crowds, and then they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. <laughs> Boy, did that shift in a hurry or what? So one minute they're being treated like they're gods. The next minute the Jews show up, and these are the Judaizer guys who are following them, creating trouble for them, and they actually stone them, and they must have knocked Paul out, hit him in the head with a rock, knocked him unconscious. They drag him out of the city. They think he's dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and walked back into the city. So he obviously wasn't dead. He got back up and he walked into the city. The next day, he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. And after they had preached the gospel in that city, made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch. And they strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, through many tribulations, we must enter into the kingdom of God. Okay, we're just about done. But there's some great pictures here. They went on for a season of time. There's a bunch of time passing here. Actually, we know at least a year had gone by because this missionary journey took over a year. And so what happened while they were out on this outreach for a year, every year somebody would change as administrator in a city. So likely the reason they could even go back into these cities where they'd been run out was two things. Likely the leadership in the town had changed during that year, most likely. And second, was that they didn't go back into the synagogues. They went to the Christians that already had met Jesus. And it says that they went back and strengthened the souls of the disciples. So they probably laid low, came into town, ministered to people in quiet Bible studies with the drapes down in the evening, and then they got out of town. It said they encouraged them to continue in the faith, but listen to these words, because these are really important words to wrap up with. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Wow, we never teach that anymore, do we? i ask you that question again. We never teach that anymore, do we? Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Friends, we just never, ever, ever say that. And we should say it more because we're going through a lot of tribulations right now, a lot of struggles in our land, And it causes some Christians to turn away from God and say, if God was God, it wouldn't be like this. I'm sorry, but we need to be more keen and honest about this and just be frank about it and say, listen, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Life is going to be hard and Jesus is going to be real. It's not, you're not promised easy, friends. You're promised possible and life and healing and hope. But there will be tribulations, many struggles. And it says, when they had appointed elders from every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord whom they had believed. So they went back and they raised up leaders, fasted, prayed over those leaders. Then it says that they passed through Pisidia, came into Pamphylia, 
And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they sailed down to Attilia, and then they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God and the work which they had accomplished. They came back to Antioch, where they had started over a year, likely at least a year earlier. And when they arrived together with the church together, they began to report everything that God had done with them, how he opened the door of faith to all these Gentiles, and they spent a long, long time with the disciples. Great picture. Great picture is a picture of the, the gospel going throughout the earth, people getting touched all over the place, and um, God doing work through people that was just grand and supernatural, just like he wants to do through us. But remember this, in the middle of that, we come into the kingdom of God through many trials and tribulations. It's gonna be a struggle. Not gonna be easy, it's gonna be a battle. It is a battle. I say it to you all the time, but it's right here in the Bible. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Okay, we need to cover some questions before we run out of time. So I think Pastor John's gone. Uh, he went surfing today. No, I'm joking. I don't know. He got eaten by a shark. What happened to John? He got replaced by Brenda today. Yay for Brenda. Hello, Pastor Dan. Oh, my goodness. You just covered <laughs> like an ocean right there. So I much am just stuff. like so impressed by that. So impressed by that. And we actually have quite a few questions. So um, we're going to do our best to be able to get through as many as possible. Um, but I'm really excited for a lot of these questions that we have here. So here's our first one. This one is from Daniel. And he asks, how did Paul and Barnabas have to change their starting point in sharing the gospel with the people of Lystra? And how should we adapt our starting point in sharing the gospel with different people today? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I, I think you gotta be spirit-led when you share Christ with people. You gotta be spirit-led. I mean, one of the coolest things about this story is you see them shifting. Like when they got in there with the Lyconians and they're like, okay, these guys don't know anything about Judaism. The, they don't talk about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They don't talk about the patriarchs. They don't talk about Moses. They don't talk about David. That, that, none of that matters. Right. So you gotta assess the people you're talking to and speak in a language that they can get. And I think that's the most important thing for any of us. And the, the problem is we tend to get religious on people. You know, we want to use these and thous and those. Jesus never did that. Jesus used something in his day and age that people could relate to. All of the parables, all the stories tied right into the community, right into the everyday living. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't theological. It wasn't right. big. It was real. Right. And real is way more important than yeah. big here. So yeah. when you're sharing Christ with people, keep it real. Think to yourself, where is their point of contact? What is it that I have a bridge into their heart? Where can I get inside of them? Is it a sport? Is it a family issue? Is it a work issue? Is it an educational issue? Where can I build a bridge into that person's life? Yeah. And I'm always listening for just a trigger. Somebody say something about this or this, and I go, hey, I know somebody who does that, and yeah. blah, 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 and then open the door to Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a really good point because it also helps us to be able to build trust with that person yeah. and kind of get into their narrative as well. So I think it's a really good point to make sure we're aware of. So this next question is from Aspen. It says here, I've heard verse 46 of chapter 13 uses saying the Jews will not go to heaven because they rejected Jesus. But the way it's used feels very negative against the people group. How do I explain what's being said here? 1326, brother so, and sons of Abraham, family of those among you who fear God, to us the message of this salvation has been sent. 
Is that the verse? Verse 46. Verse 46, 46 of chapter 13. 46. 46. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It is necessary the word of the Lord be spoken to you first, since you repudiate it, judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Till we are turning the Gentiles. Yeah, uh, that, that is not, this is not an all-encompassing thing. He was talking to a group of people and, pro, and using prophetic language to say, look, we are bringing the word to you, bringing the word to you. We know Jewish people came to Christ. The whole church has yeah. been Jewish for 10 years. Yeah. So there's no question there, the, Jew, the church was Jewish. Mm-hmm. There's no question about that. So to say that Jewish people were turned away would be the gospel started in, what did Jesus say? Jerusalem. Judea, Mm -hmm. Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And so it started in Jerusalem with Jews, and then it went out to all these people. And he was addressing these folks in context of, you're not listening, and so I'm going to go to the Gentiles. And they did. Yeah, exactly. Good, good. Okay, so this next one is from Caramello. Are there only certain people or positions qualified to lay hands on people, especially when releasing someone into ministry? Yeah, let's talk about that. That's a great question. Yeah, there's only certain people qualified. Everybody who loves Jesus, that's who's <laughs> qualified. If you love Jesus, listen, you need to believe this in, in God, and you're walking with God. I mean, the Bible's clear. Don't let people lay hands on you quickly. Yeah. If, I, I don't just let anybody come up and start praying over me who I don't know. Right. So you got to be wise about that. But there's no margin that says, listen, if you have been a Christian this long, then you can lay hands on people Listen, when people are anointed by God and they're, they're humbled and they're yielded to God and they're walking with God, I want those people to pray over me. Yeah. Man, I used to get around so many great leaders and just say, could you pray over me before we leave? And, you know, I, I mean, Pastor Jack used to always walk around when I would be in class with him, put his hands on us and pray over us before the class ended. And uh, there's just a really important impartation with yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think, you no, know, is it good to have leaders pray over you? Absolutely. But can anybody pray over anybody else with laying on our hands? Yes. Yeah. No, I think it's really important to remember. It's really empowering, too, because I know that it's been a lot of times people have felt like you have to have a certain title, and that's the only yeah. somehow it's a special prayer that's going to yeah. come out, but it's so empowering to if know. If you went to one of our staff meetings ever, and we pray for each other in staff meetings, and I know there's been times even in our staff meetings when they've said, can we pray for you, Pastor? I said, yeah, we always lay hands on each other. And mm-hmm. Brenda, you're, you've been on staff. You know that. Yeah. that we always gather around each other exactly. and we always lay hands on each other because we really believe in this spiritual, this biblical injunction, you know, that lay hands on each other right. for impartation, pray over each other. Yep, yeah, exactly. Okay, so this one is from Mauda. And her question is, in chapter 13, these guys are still preaching on the Sabbath in the synagogue. Why do we now worship on Sundays and we don't go to the synagogue? Well, they were going to the synagogue as a witness. I mean, they were. this is evangelism. Yeah. So wherever people show up, when Paul goes into Europe and, and you see different places, when Paul's traveling in Asia, when Paul's going, he would go where the people were. Mm-hmm. So women are gathered by the stream to get water. He'll go to the stream where the women are gathered and share Christ with them. So in this particular case, what he would do, he would go to the synagogues. That was their strategy because the people would gather there, not because he was going there to worship. That wasn't, I mean, the early church did worship in the synagogue. There's no question about that for a season of time. And then they were pretty much driven out when it became clear that they were not going to be a Jewish sect, but -hmm. they were a different set of believers. Yeah. So the Jewish believers were driven out of the temple 
Yeah, that goes back to what you were saying before, is like really meeting a person where they're at mm -hmm. instead of always expecting them to come mm -hmm. to us so we can go to them. Going to where they were. Exactly. And that's where they gathered. Yeah. I mean, this would be like if there was a big sporting event, going to that sporting event. I mean, yeah. if, they, if they knew people were going to be there and circling around spiritual issues, right. then the strategy here was Paul was a Pharisee. Likely, when he came in this meeting and they said, brethren, if you have a word of exhortation, probably Paul was dressed as a Pharisee. Okay. He probably had clothing on that identified him as a Pharisee. Uh -huh. And so probably when he came in, they went, whoa, this guy's from Jerusalem. This guy has been a Pharisee. He's a leader. That, that would be like a big deal out here in the countryside. Right. For Paul to show up on their turf with his education, mm -hmm. they would want him to speak. Right. And so they asked him to speak. But that was his strategy. Right, He right. knew that they, he would get an invitation to talk about Jesus. Yeah. Had nothing to do with what day he was worshiping or even where. It had to do with a strategy to reach people for yeah. Jesus. He leveraged his influence. Yeah, he, he did. did. <laughs> okay, so this one is from Yangster. Paul had been persecuting Christians, but look at what he eventually became. Was he being too harsh with this sorcerer? Wow, no, no, no. I don't think he was harsh with the sorcerer at all. And that's, I want to read something to you um, that I didn't get to today. Let me see if I can find this really quick. Because there's this, oh, here it is. Uh, here is a, something that was written at about 150 AD, which was uh, just in the, within a generation of Paul's life. And it was written by a guy in the church in Galatia, and he actually got in trouble for writing this, Tertullian disciplining for writing it. But he wrote this about Paul. He said, this is the best description we have him. He's a man of small stature with a bald head, crooked legs, and a good health, healthy body, and eyebrows that meet in the middle, as well as a hooked nose. He was a man who was full of friendliness and had a face like an angel. Hmm. See, we don't usually think of Paul as a guy full of friendliness. <laughs> we don't. We think of Paul as a guy like, ah! <laughs> but he was, and like he was a high you know, a Pharisee, and a, right. but he was apparently a really kind. And the way that you can find out how nice Paul was is how many friends did he have. And go back mm -hmm. through and read his letters and count how many people he greets in his letters. That's over 60. Yeah. That he, people that he actually speaks their name and says, please greet Rufus. Please greet his mother, Mary. She's my mother. Please greet this. He's a super warm guy. Yeah. He's a really warm guy. <laughs> but we get off on him like, woo, he's just a big... Theologi theological guy, you know, yeah. but really he was a very friendly guy. And I think he was trying to lead the guy to Christ. I think he did to the guy what Jesus did to him that brought him to, to Christ. Yeah. So I don't think he was being harsh at all. I, the, the way that he spoke to him was really direct. Yeah, son of the devil, he was. He was operating in the demonic. There's no question about that. And that's what he called out. And then he, which was supposed to be a point of conviction and then a chance to get saved. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a good reminder also to like look at the entirety of a person's life. Yeah. He was direct, but just like you said, that look at all the friends that he had oh, and the warmth that was there. So you got to get yeah. the whole picture. That's a great study. If you ever just want to go through all the letters that Paul wrote and write down everybody's name that he mentions. Right. God had friends. Right. I mean, <laughs> he had friends all over the world. And he made relationships with people all over the world, which is great, great, great picture. Yeah. Okay, so this one is from, I love the screen names that we get online. They're super fun. So this one's from Rocket. <laughs> and verse 48 says that, says those destined for eternal life became believers. 
Were they predestined? Please explain how wow. this works. I, was, which I, didn't say, I didn't touch that at all because I wanted to see what, what, if somebody picked it up. <laughs> somebody picked it up. It says in verse 48 of chapter, uh, chapter 13, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord that as many as have been appointed to eternal life believed. It's a gigantic verse. Mm-hmm. Obviously it has to do with the providence of God. So yes, are those appointed, the Bible says for um, honor, vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. Uh-huh. And so you're like, really, how does that play? Well, in order to understand a verse like that, you have to read the whole counsel of God. You don't take that one verse and build a theology on it. You read all the verses. So go back to verses like, and take this verse, which is a great verse, which says God appoints, okay? So Mm -hmm. there's no question that God knows everything. Mm -hmm. But it also says in John 3.16, what? That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that what? Whosoever, mm-hmm. whosoever. That's mm-hmm. a very big word. That's as big as appointed here. Yeah. Whosoever literally says, any the do, welcome. Just think like over heaven, mm-hmm. there's this sign, walking in the pearly gates. Think yeah. like this. Yeah. And it says, whosoever, whosoever will come is welcome. Yeah. And you walk underneath that sign and you look back, and it says on the other side, you were appointed before the beginning of time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand it completely, but it is both things are in the Bible. Right. <clears throat> so right. if somebody says to me, what does that mean? It means just tell everybody about Jesus and okay. leave the rest to him. There you go. There you go. Just tell everybody about Jesus because you'll never know if somebody's appointed or not appointed. Yeah. They're supposed to hear the gospel. There's yeah. no question. There's all kinds of other verses. If, listen, if God had not delegated to humans the opportunity to bring other human beings to the kingdom of God, these guys wouldn't have gone out and shared the gospel. Yep. Okay, because if all it was was you're appointed, right. they could have gone home and watched a right. football game. Exactly, yeah. Drank a beer, <laughs> and, and everybody would have gone to heaven. Right. That is not going to happen. Right. This is way more complicated than that single verse. Right. But that verse is a very important verse. Yeah. It talks about the providence of God. But whosoever, you know, mm-hmm. Everybody's welcome to come in. And then when you look back, you were appointed before the beginning of time. Right, right. That was probably the biggest piece of advice I was given in direction when I started biblical studies was that don't ever just take that one passage. You got to look at the entire scripture as a whole and get the whole context of that. And that was like, I carried that with me. So this verse is important, but it's got to be covered with a whole bunch of other verses. Right. To get the full understanding of what God is doing. Exactly. Okay. But great, 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 great question, because yes. I, I actually intentionally skimmed right through that to see if somebody would bring that up. So this was our test for tonight, right? It was. We passed. Somebody passed. Yay, the test. we passed. So awesome for them. Yeah. Okay, so this one's from Maria. While it is not necessary for Gentiles, us, to adopt the religious practices and festivals assigned to the Jews, would Jews who believe and accept Jesus as the Messiah still keep those practices and festivals? Wow, again, those are things that, Think about Peter. Peter was a Jew. And what did God say to him last week when we talked about the sheep coming down, or two weeks ago, with Cornelius? You know, when, when the sheep came down, it said, kill and eat. And he said, can't do it. Those things are all unclean. Mm-hmm. God said, yeah, mm-hmm. you can do it. Mm-hmm. So God just broke the food laws from the Old Testament. Right. And it wasn't really about the food, but it was about the Gentiles. But this is a really important point. 
Jewish people built relationship with people eating. Mm-hmm. That was really important. Yeah. That's why Jesus had meals and meals and meals with people and shared, broke bread and shared life at the table. Yeah. That's why the food laws were so important to a Jewish person because they could not come into a Gentile home and eat with them. Right. That was completely forbidden, and Peter did that. Right. So does a Jew who comes to Christ have to keep those laws? No. Clearly, God said to Peter, don't keep those laws if they keep you away from Gentiles. Right. Because you need to be with those people. Right, right. Okay. Now, this one is from Pancakes. I'm going to be hungry by the time we are done with this. <laughs> Don't talk to me. I haven't eaten dinner Pancakes. yet. So it's like 8 o'clock and I haven't eaten dinner. So. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Okay. Pancakes wants to know, I get it we're not saved by works, but what about practicing baptism or communion? What part do these practices play in the Christian faith? Well, I think anytime it's better to obey than to sacrifice. So when God gives direction, there's always purpose in his direction. So the direction that he gives you, you want to obey that to get to the next place. Mm -hmm. So if the spirit tells me to do something and I disobey, then I'm probably not going to get directed to the next place till I get that right. Yeah. You know, at least in a large way. I might get some small direction, but not in a large way. I've got to obey the large things that God gives to me. So when, if God tells you to get baptized, to take communion, and you just say, I'm not going to do that, you're probably not going to progress in your faith very far. Right, right. Because what, what those are is those ordinances or things that God said, these are so important. They're the things I left for you to undergird your walk with me by faith. Mm-hmm. They don't save you, mm-hmm. but they help direct you while you're on this side of heaven right. to get where God wants you to go. Right, right. Okay, this one is from Emma. Pastor Dan, do you feel that they, there could currently be groups of people who were appointed to eternal life they may feel unwelcome into church life in this season of time as it was in Jesus' time when he was on earth with the Gentiles. Well, I'm sure of that. Yeah, I'm sure that there's, that there's situations that we don't see and that we're blind to as people. And I'm sure that there's, yeah. And, and I know even, listen, when you study something like the poor, <clears throat> and I did my doctoral dissertation on why the suburban church in America has abandoned the poor, so I did a whole lot of studies about cities and, and social strata mm. and how people move through social strata. If you go to CityLink and you witness to people in line down there getting food and they give their lives to Christ, 99% of them are never going to walk in the doors of this church because they do not feel comfortable crossing three levels of social strata, yeah. which they would feel that they're at level one and we're at level four or five. Yeah. And they would say, I cannot cross that many levels of social strata to have fellowship with you. Yeah. In my spirit, I'm not comfortable doing that. Yeah. So we've had people who did it back in the day when I used to go to CityLink and work there all the time. And we had a couple of families that would come and they, it was always awkward for them because they were super poor and we helped them all the time. So if we had an event, they didn't have money to go. Mm-hmm. They didn't have money to send their kids. We would always help them, but they always felt awkward about mm-hmm. it. So what you've got to do in a situation like that is you have to plant a church at CityLink Mm -hmm. in the same social strata where those people feel comfortable with the people around them because those are the people that they're journeying with and they want to journey with. Mm -hmm. That's the people who speak their language. So yes, I'm certain there are people who don't feel comfortable coming in our doors because of what they perceive. Right, right. Okay, so this is gonna be our last question. Uh, This is from Laverne. 
I noticed they had elders here in chapter 14. Do we have elders at Water of Life and how is that different from the calling of pastor and how are elders different from deacons? Wow, good question. Um, I, I guess I'm gonna point you to Titus and Timothy and say that in the books of Titus and Timothy, you can go there and you can study elders and eldership and deacons. Um, deacons primarily are servers. They're people who serve. So I would say everybody who had a yellow shirt on last weekend out here were deacons for us. Now, why don't we have deacons at Water of Life? That's mm -hmm. a good question. Because yeah, yeah. we've tried over the years to have deacons that identify people that are, have passionate servant hearts and we want to honor them. And they say, no, don't, I don't want to be called out. I don't want to be, but we know in our hearts who they are. Right. But they don't want to hold a particular office. It's right. not about an office for them. It's about their heart to serve people. Yeah. But we have hundreds, I would guess, even thousands of deacons at Water of Life Church. People who are just servants, servants, and servants. They're not necessarily gifted to teach or prophesy or plant churches, mm -hmm. but they are gifted to serve and build the kingdom of God. They are the people who get people from the street into the seat. They're the people who touch people along the way. They're the people right. who pray over people, lift them up, minister yeah. to them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So yes, we have elders at Water of Life, and um, they are, uh, yeah, we, have a, we had an elder meeting tonight before I came here at 5.30 on Zoom call. So they are, I am accountable to them. They're the ones who um, I, I bring things to them and say, what do you want to do with the church at this point? I think this, and here's where I think the Lord is leading us, but my responsibility is to lay that before them and let them counsel me with it. Mm -hmm. So I'm accountable to them. Right. So they're the people who pull my chain. <laughs> so. I think that's great for everyone to know that it's also such an example for us to always be in an atmosphere where there's people that we're, they're holding us accountable. Yeah. And just having that really Everybody sets a Everybody needs example. people over them at some yeah. point in the journey. Exactly. And when you lose that, you, lose, you become a danger. Right. It's what we studied last week about the offices mixing up with prophet and priest and king. Uh -huh. You mix the offices up and a person starts operating in all the offices. They go, I don't need anybody to oversee me. Uh -huh. well, everybody, biblically speaking, needs somebody to oversee right. them. Right. So Paul, Barnabas, the apostles. And by the way, Barnabas is called an apostle here. I didn't note that. When we were reading this, I think it's in chapter 14, he's called an apostle. Now, that when he was called an apostle, it, he was not one of the 12 from Jerusalem. He was called apostle in the terms that, that uh, Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter four mm -hmm. that we have uh, teachers and apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers. He was one of those apostles. Like I mentioned a few weeks ago, I've been called an apostle by people overseas and say, you operate in right. the office of apostle. You plant churches around the world. You go and minister to churches around the world. You're apostolic. Mm -hmm. Well, there was a lot of apostles in the Bible like that. Okay, so they they operated in those terms. Barnabas was one of them. Mm -hmm. So Barnabas had authority over the elders in this church, but they had immediate authority over the day-to-day the -day workings of their church. Yeah. So. Well, Pastor Dan, I think it's time for you to go get some dinner. <laughs> really? <laughs> Thank you so much this for doing great, all Brenda. of that. You're wonderful, always, always wonderful. Thank you. 
And I want to thank you so much for joining us online tonight. Thank you so much for ask, asking those questions and just being a part of this ongoing conversation as we go through the book, book of Acts. We want to remind you to make sure you go to wallupdates.com and reserve those tickets if you would like to be involved in our on-campus on service. If you'd like to be able to stay online, we're going to still be online as well. We'll still have our hosts and our uh, pastors that will be online ready to engage with you and to pray with you as well. And don't forget to text the word SURVEY to 818-818 and let us know what this has been like for you, for your family, your friends, whoever it is that you're watching with as far as having Wednesday nights and just what role that's played in your walk. We really would love to be able to hear from you. Thank you again for being here. We hope you have a wonderful week and God bless you.